Second Peter chapter 2. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I want to read a passage of Scripture here and, uh, and then bring the message. Before I read this passage, let me say this morning that one of the great truths of these epistles that Peter wrote, and we studied these on Wednesday night here in the Bible study, but one of the great truths of these epistles is the call for God's people to live peculiar lives. Peculiar lives. And that peculiarity is found in at least three things that Peter presents in these letters. If you want to know what is a peculiar person as a Christian, how, what is the peculiar life? Well, Peter kind of highlights this with three things, that I, I believe. Number one, it's someone who has a passion to know more about Jesus. You know, Peter writes uh, throughout both letters, but in chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And a peculiar person has a passion to know more about Jesus, and I want to be that kind of person. Another thing that he brings out is a, about a peculiar person is they have a personal holiness that reflects the character of God. In other words, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And so a peculiar person will have the kind of a lifestyle that reflects the character and the nature of God, personal holiness. And then thirdly, a peculiar person has this pining for the eternal life to come. They are longing for heaven. And that certainly makes them a peculiar person in this world. You know, we've been singing about that all morning, haven't we? And uh, there is a, a life that is to come. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so that is a peculiar person in these letters that Peter wrote. Now, when you think of that sort of Christian life, I ask you in truth this morning, how much do you see that? in the church today. Now I want you to just be honest in your heart. How many Christians do you know who are truly living like that? They've got a passion to know Jesus more and more. They've got a personal holiness in their life that reflects the character of God. And they've got this longing in their heart. They just love to talk about glory and they're excited about what awaits them on the other side. The truth is, when you really get down to the nuts and bolts of that, sometimes those people are few and far between. Now, I'm not talking about perfect or flawless Christians because there is no such a thing. There's, there's no such thing. In fact, the finest Christian people that I've ever known through my life, uh, every one of them, once you get to know them, you'll find that they have uh, personality quirks, they have weaknesses, they have struggles in their life, they have bad habits in their life. The very best Christians have things in their life that are flaws and, and don't, they're not perfect. And so that's not what we're talking about. But what I do notice about these great Christians that I have known is they're people who lived like they wanted to please God. And they lived like uh, they had a real desire beyond this world and that they had something of the character of a citizen of heaven. And that's the kind of a person that is a peculiar person. Now, look with me at 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, this is talking about God's judgment, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Now look at verse 7. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Verse 8 is our main text this morning. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. 
Now, when you read that passage this morning, this is a sad commentary on a man who has drug himself deep into the gutters of this world. This is where Lot is. A man who once walked side by side with the friend of God, his uncle Abraham. And a man who had started out on the path of a pilgrimage, of following God's path for his life. A man who started out on the journey of being a peculiar person, but decided that he had more interest and more opportunity in the things of this world. That's who you're reading about when you read about this man named Lot. He's about as low as a saved man can get. That's where Lot is when God brings judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to tell you this morning, there is nothing more miserable than a man or a woman who knows God, but they get out of the will of God, get out of the way of God, and start chasing worldliness and sinful pleasure. You'll never find anybody more miserable than that person right there. And Lot was a miserable person. You know why he was? Because he was saved. You know, you can't be saved and be worldly and be happy. It just don't work. And if you can be worldly and be carnal and be happy in it, chances are pretty good you're not saved. And Lot was a miserable man. Notice how the Bible describes the condition of Lot. It says it calls him just Lot. Now, it doesn't mean that God got just Lot out of there. It's describing this man. God describes him as a just man. Now, we're going to go to Genesis in a minute. But everything you know about Lot and what happens when Lot's living in Sodom, you would say, this man is anything but right with God. Well, I would agree with you. He wasn't right with God. But God did say he was a just man. In our New Testament age, we would say he was a saved man. Now, he wasn't a Christian because they weren't Christians then, but he was a believer. He had faith in God. He was a just man. But you show me a born-again man or woman who's living by choice in and among sinfulness and tasting and trying out the world, and I'll show you a miserable person. I'll show you somebody that can't be happy with the world and they can't be happy with the church because they're not right with God. They're living a double life. Then backslidden would be a good word for Lot, wouldn't it? I mean, he's as backslidden as you can get. So much so that if we didn't have the Bible telling us that he was saved, none of us would ever believe it. We'd say, boy, that man ain't right. He don't know God. Now, now listen to this. It's careful. I mean, it's important. We have to be careful about making final judgments on people, don't we? Because I'm going to tell you this. There's a lot of people today that are saved, but they're like Lot. They're in the mix of the world and the filthy conversation of the world around them, and you wouldn't know they were Christians because they've lost the joy. They've lost the light. They've lost that excitement for the things of God. But I'm glad to report to you ahead of time this morning that God is able to bring them out of that mess. He sure is. I'm glad God knows who belongs to Him. And when the final day comes and the trumpet sounds, man, you know what's going to get you to heaven? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who, again... I'm not talking about somebody who, you know, you might come to church on Sunday and, and be a part of that, but then you go out during the week and God's not on your mind. You're just living in the world, doing what you want to do, and you're fine and content with it. I'm going to tell you something this morning. My Bible tells me you don't know Christ. See, I'm not talking about that kind of person. I'm talking about the kind of person that has been born again and they've got caught up in the mess of the world and they're miserable and they're ashamed and they wish they could get out of it, but they don't know how this morning this message is for you. 
This message is for you. He's not only a just man, but the Bible says, notice he was vexed. Verse 7 and verse 8 tell us that Lot was a vexed man. Now this is a very descriptive word. To vex, the word, the word in verse 7 that's translated vex literally means to wear down. It has the idea of it much like the word persecution. It means to be irritated, to be bothered, uh, to, be, uh, to be laboring and toiled on so much that you just give out and give up. And Lot was vexed. He was a vexed man because he was living in this ungodly place among all this ungodly uh, stuff that was going on and he wasn't standing for God and he wasn't there as a missionary trying to preach the gospel. He was there trying to make a name for himself and he was enduring all of this and it was wearing him down. I'm going to tell you, we've got to be careful about overestimating our ability to withstand sin. You know, there are some things in your life that you better stay as far away from as you can get. Some of us could walk by a honky-tonk bar and it wouldn't bother us. We wouldn't be tempted at all. Matter of fact, I just wouldn't want to walk close to it, but it would never tempt me to go in it. Never. I'd never be. But I'm going to tell you, some of you better stay away from them. You know, some of us can walk down the magazine aisle and maybe never be bothered by what's on the magazine stands. But some of us better stay away from the magazine stands. All right? Because there are some things in your life that you're going to struggle with and that will ensnare you as a Christian. And before long, you don't know it, but you're right there in the middle of Sodom and miserable and out of the will of God and wondering, how did this happen? That's where Lot was. Here's the shocker about it. See, Lot was vexed, but on the one hand, he could say, you know what, this world I'm living in, it's so wicked and ungodly and shame on this. But that's not the problem. Lot's problem was Lot. You see, the vexing of his soul was happening by his own choice, by his own decision. It was Lot's choice to live among the filthy conversation of the wicked, the ungodly lifestyles around him. The blame lay at his feet because he chose to be there. He chose to live in it. He chose to expose his heart and soul to that sin and filth. Look at verse 8. For that righteous man, can you believe it? Well, I'm glad when God sees me, he sees the blood. Amen. <laughs> that righteous man dwelling among them, notice, in seeing and hearing. This was his avenue of vexing his soul. It was what he was looking at and what he was listening to. Oh, preacher, here we go. Now you're going to start hitting on everything. Might as well. Might as well because it's still in the book. And I'm going to tell you, it is a problem today like it's never, ever been. You know, I was thinking when I was a little boy, and I told you last week how I used to draw fights. And I'd sit over there and listen to the preacher. I'd draw little war scenes. You know, mamas and daddies used to get on to children about writing letters in church and passing notes in church. And today, mamas and daddies are texting in church. We're vexing our soul by what we're seeing and hearing. And we're falling into the traps of this world and its ways. And we wonder why we have no power with God. We have no walk with God. We can talk the religious talk. But the truth is, we haven't had an experience with God since we can't remember. Because we vexed ourselves with this world. You know, some people may wonder why they can't get excited in church anymore. Some people may wonder, you, you know, you don't have a fervent Bible study and prayer life 
in, in your personal walk. You aren't involved in outreach and soul winning and, and building the church. And you, don't, you, you get uncomfortable around people who are just always wanting to talk about the goodness of God. No, people, every time you see them, they're just talking about what God's been doing in their life. And you're like, man, I, I got to, here they come. Now, you're saved. You stood before God right now, you'd stand in the righteousness of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ, but something's not right in your heart. You've vexed your soul by the stuff you're seeing and hearing in this world today. Friend, that's exactly how Lot felt living in Sodom. He was not a happy man. This is the truth as plain as I know how to make it. Sodom and Gomorrah were perverted places. It was more than sodomy, though. See, you've got to understand that all through history and time, sodomy is always a final result of a whole lot of sin and wickedness that happened first and led to it. And Sodom and Gomorrah, those two cities, uh, uh, were full of all kinds of ungodliness. Ungodly music pornography, adultery, lewd lifestyles, public nakedness, sensual talk, on and on the list goes. That, now say, you say, preacher, how do you know that Sodom was like? They'd have never gotten to sodomy, what we call sodomy now. They'd have never gotten to that point if they hadn't walked through all those other steps down. See, it always starts there. It's always that progression, just like we tell young people. Don't ever start uh, trying out alcohol or, or tobacco because one thing leads to another. And then the next thing you know, you're trying this drug. And then that drug doesn't do it and you're trying. We always tell our children that, but then what kind of stuff are we involving ourselves with? And we're going down the wrong path. You know, you couldn't find the church in Sodom. How do you know that? Well, because Abraham said, Lord, if you could find ten righteous, would you spare them? God said, I'd spare the city if I could find ten righteous, and he couldn't. And you say, well, at least, at least Lot was having church in his house. I doubt it. Because we're going to look in a moment and find out his family had no respect for him on spiritual things. God couldn't identify. I'm going to tell you something. A whole lot of stuff coming out of New York City and Los Angeles and Hollywood and Wall Street and Nashville and Miami and Greensboro and Burlington, a whole lot of it is nothing more than sodomy. Everything that was happening in that time, it is happening around us today. Now, you know I'm not preaching against entertainment. I, you know I'm not, I don't, I'm not one of those people that doesn't believe you ought to never in, be entertained or enjoy something in life, but I am preaching against filthy conversation of the wicked. You know, sex-filled movies. You know, garbage music. Those crass TV shows that that populate television today. I honestly don't know how anybody can find anything on TV to watch of modern television. I don't know how anybody finds anything. Personally, I wonder how there's anything hardly that's come out since about 1995 that's worth watching. I know there might be a few things, but you know, you never do wrong. Well, you know what I was going to say. I'm trying to make it one service without making a reference to the Andy Griffiths. I mean, without... Uh, but all that stuff that's grabbing us. And, and here's the thing. There was a time when we would have not involved ourselves with it. We would have said no to that. But we've become comfortable with it. And it's a step we took this way and another step. And before long, we're so wrapped up with this worldly mess that we're vexing our soul. And we don't have power with God anymore. That's a problem. You see, every time we get caught up in that stuff, it's costing us. It's costing us. 
That word vexed in verse 8 is even stronger than the one in verse 7. It's two different words in, in the Greek language. That verse 8 is a word which means to torture. You see, it goes from persecution to torture where he was living. And it was all by his choice. I recently listened to a podcast. Now that sounds like something when I say that. I've just recently become a podcast listener. And I was listening to one about uh, Colonel James Stockdale and how he was shot down in Vietnam and became a prisoner of war all those years. I think it was Vietnam. Um, uh, but he was a prisoner of war for all those years. And he made a statement that at some point, that all those POWs knew, and they would teach the new guys that came in, at some point the enemy will break you. They're going to break you. I don't care how strong you are, I don't care how much you love God and country, they will break you. But they would teach them, the thing is when they break you and you give them something, don't give them something that's going to help them. And they even told about one guy when they broke him that he, he spilled his guts about Clark Kent. And America was working this secret program and, 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 and it was all about this man named Clark Kent. And when they found out that he was messing with them, they tortured him even worse. But that was, the, that was what they told him. They will break you. And I think about that vexing our soul. No matter how strong we think we are, that torture of the filthy conversation of the wicked will break us. It will break us eventually. Lot vexed his devotional life by these choices. And I'll tell you this morning, the first thing to go, I assure you, will be your devotional life. Remember, Lot had no church uh, where he could go and spend time with the people of God. And he couldn't worship with Abraham any longer. And you know, he had learned how to worship uh, walking with his uncle Abraham. And Lot made no altars and he made no sacrifices. His devotional life was completely gone. And there are a lot of Christians today that have been wrapped up and consumed by the things of this world and they have no devotional life with God. They don't crack their Bible open and prayerfully read and ask God to show them and teach them and, and reveal truth to them. They don't have that. Lot also vexed his awareness of holiness. You see, when you surround yourself with ungodliness and sinful lifestyles of other people, you start losing a sense of purity and holiness. You start becoming acclimated to the things that everybody else says is okay. And so you assume that if this is where the world is, well, as long as I'm right here, I'm okay. But that might be where God is. See, God's still way back over here because He never changed. And the world's falling further and further and further and further. Morality's dipping lower and lower. Standards are getting lower and lower. And instead of the church saying, you know what, we're going to just draw up closer and closer to the Lord, we just keep following the world. We just keep a few steps behind them. You know, what used to be, you know, unacceptable in church is acceptable now. Because the world's way down the line, so it's okay now for us to be here. God hasn't changed. But we vex our awareness of holiness by letting the world dictate to us what right looks like. I'll tell you this, he vexed his family's future. Lot put his family at jeopardy. You see, he'd come out of a strong family situation. But he's going to end up with his family in ruins. And if you know the story, you understand it. He's going to lose his son-in-laws. He's going to lose his wife. His daughters are going to become so morally corrupt that it's almost unspeakable what they end up doing. You know, I've watched this happen to many people over my short years, but you'll see it happen. You have this heavy swing in one of two directions. You have men and women who decide they're going to isolate themselves from the world. 
I mean, boy, they're hardliners. I mean, I'm going to tell you one thing. If it smells like the world, sounds like the world, looks like the world, we live a thousand miles away from it, and we don't touch it. You know the old saying, we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with those that do? That, that crowd, you know, which is pretty far from where Jesus was, as best I can tell, because he was all around that stuff, and those people, but he loved them, and he represented God to them. But then you got these people hardline. And then what happens, those hardliners have children grow up in that hardline life and then end up losing their children. I'm not saying it happens every time, but it happens a lot. And then you got that swing the other way. You got these people that say, well, you know what? I mean, hey, the, all that hardline stuff's not who we are. They just throw off restraint. They don't have biblical principles in their life. They have no shame. They have no modesty. They have no line drawn that says, hey, this is not allowed in our life as Christians because this will dishonor God. And they get sucked into that carnality, and I've seen their children get lost. I've seen their marriages break up. I've seen their families just head off into the world. You see, it's not about swinging that pendulum to the extremes. Where we need to be is where we started today. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And what was he teaching them? He was teaching them to have a passion to know Jesus more. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, if you'll fall in love with Jesus and learn and know Jesus better, all these other things will take care of themselves. Personal holiness that reflects the character of God. A pining for that eternal life that is to come. That's where we need to live and reside. It's not about how white I can make myself and clean over here or, or how I pride myself and you know, not being like that crowd. That's not it. But it's finding where is the will of God and walking there, not vexing my soul. How did Lot get in such a mess to begin with? Well, in the text today, I will tell you the first thing that I see in the context is he believed the lies. He believed the lies. You see, verse 1 and 2 of this chapter says that there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, uh, that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You know what that is? There's people that are going to lie to you. They're going to lie to you about what's right, what's good, what's okay, and what's not. And Lot began to believe the lies. I believe that he believed the lie of the false teachers who said, life is better over here, God understands. There's always going to be false teachers telling you that stuff. Some of you have shared things with me or I've heard you say it in conversation of the stuff that's going on in churches today. I don't remember who it was. Somebody was sharing with me about the church that has the water slide baptism. So you can go up to the top and slide down into the baptistry pool. Hallelujah. Uh, somebody was saying this morning or yesterday or something about the, the church that has the preacher that's made the news because he's installed a brewery in the church. Man, there's all kind of mess going on out there. Most of us, I would say, are pretty, pretty safe from that kind of foolishness. But there's a crowd out there that can deceive us and telling us that, you know, doing this and doing that, it's okay, God understands. And yet the Bible clearly would teach us that God doesn't understand or approve. But we'll be convinced by the false teachers that it's okay. I believe he believed the lie of the world that said, hey, lay off that religion, lighten up. And I believe Lot gave in to some of those lies and said, you know what, they're right. 
If I'm ever going to succeed down here in Sodom, I'm going to have to let go of some of this stuff that Uncle Abraham's taught me. I mean, after all, God is a God of mercy, isn't he? I mean, you know. And he, and he lightened up. I'll tell you the, the second thing that he did that got him in this mess. He sold out to the losing team. You see, look at verse number 3. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. And he goes into those next verses describing how that that crowd that looks like they're getting away with all that lying, they're not. And the judgment is coming. And you know, if we start following that crowd, we've joined a losing team. Now why would a champion want to be on a losing team? You watch it in the sports world sometimes. You know, these guys go join teams, and, and, and they join teams that have no chance of winning anything. Why? Well, there's more money there. Or they get to be the big fish in the pond, right? It's all about power. It's all about money. It's all about a position and prestige, and that's what Lot did. He sold out to a losing team. You see, God judges indiscriminately. In those next verses, 4 through 6, you'll see how that God judges in heaven. He cast the angels out. You'll see that God judges over the whole earth. He brought a worldwide flood. And you'll see how that God judges locally in a community. He destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God judges indiscriminately. Everything that, that Lot invested he, he, in that wrong team, he lost it. Every bit of it. And we see that we have a merciful example of a merciless judgment that is coming. In verse number 6. I'm glad that God got Lot out of there. God will always get his people out before final judgment comes. But he sold out to the losing team. So see, he lost. It cost him. I'll tell you this, he failed to be a leader in his home and his community. He failed to be a leader in his home and his community. This is how Lot got in that mess. Uh, real quickly, I'm not going to read the passages, the text, but it's over in Genesis 13. You may recall how that Lot here begins to lift up his eyes and behold the well-watered plains of Sodom. And you remember what happened there. The Bible says there was strife between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen. Now right then and there, had Lot been the leader that he could have been or should have been, he might have said, Abraham, let's, let's work this out. I'll get my boys lined up. I'll get them straight. After all, you're my uncle and you're in charge and God has me submit to your authority. I'll fix my guys. He could have done that. But he didn't do that. And then when Abram said, I'll tell you what, Lot, I don't want, there, I don't want to wreck the relationship between us because family's important and we need to keep tight bonds. And I'll tell you what, you pick whichever way you want to go, Lot, and I'll go the other way. you got first choice. I almost wish Abraham wouldn't have done that. But Lot looked and said, well, over there's desert and scrub brush. Looks like New Mexico. Boy, over here, look at all that green grass. And look out there. What's that city called? Look at those lights, man. I mean, not only can I feed my flock during the day, but at night I can go into town. Man, I can catch the high life. And Lot began to drift that way. And the Bible says that he pitched his tent where he could look at it. So he didn't go right away to Sodom. He just went toward where the grass looked greener. But he pitched his tent so that every night he could see the lights of Sodom. And every morning when he woke up, he could see the city out there. And he said, boy, that sure looks like a fun place. And over time, that's where he ended up. And he took his family with him. See, Lot took not only his family, but he took all of his herdsmen, his workers, and he messed up everybody's life because he failed as a leader. Now, I want to close with this. We've painted a pretty grim picture of where Lot was, but the context of 2 Peter chapter 2 is to show us how that God 
can get his people out. Verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God got Noah in the ark before the flood came. God got Lot out of Sodom before the fire fell. And God will get his church out of here before that final judgment day comes. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be like Lot and mess my family up and lose my testimony and dishonor God all the way till judgment day. That's not how we want to live. So how do you get out from under the vex? How do you get out of the vex and back in the blessing? And Lot needed that. Well, to get this, and, and as we, we come near to close, look, just turn to Genesis 19 for our final passage. You see, you've got to go here to see how Lot got out of the vex. And Lot got out of Sodom, but it took him making some right decisions. And this is what I want to leave you with today. And I'm just going to outline them for you. Lot had to make some decisions to get out of this mess that he was in. Look at verse 12 of Genesis 19. And the men, you know who they were? The two angels, messengers from heaven. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou any here besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. The first decision Lot had to make to get out of this vexing was he had to listen to the messenger from God. If he had ignored those men that day, Lot would have died in that city. He would have perished with the rest of them. And I'm going to tell you there's a lot of Christian folks today that have been living out there in the filthy conversation of the world, vexing their own soul. Oh, but the man of God has proclaimed and preached and, and told them, hey, come out of that. There's a way to live and, and there's a way of blessing and get out of that mess. But they're ignoring the messenger. They're ignoring the message of God. I believe we've lost something in our day. People hear the preacher, but they don't listen for the voice of God. Colossians chapter 1, Paul said, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery from the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And I'm going to tell you something this morning, whether you can understand it or not or appreciate it or not, that passage that Paul wrote in Colossians is the heart of a pastor. Paul said, I am given everything I have to preach, to teach, to warn, in order to present every man before God in the right way. That's what you want to do when you're in ministry. And good men, God-called preachers, anointed and gifted and passionate for serving God and helping the church are often wondering, why are people not responding? Why is there no seriousness about the truly spiritual things? And see, these, these messengers were angels, and when they came, they came with obvious power. They struck those wicked men with blindness that day. But I want you to know that the Word of God we hold and preach today is more powerful than the angels. It is the Word of God. But men have so conditioned themselves to tune it out and not respond to it. How often has the Lord spoken to you and you resisted it? Maybe you sat there and you gritted it out until the last amen. You were resisting the wrong power. You need to yield to that voice in your life. Number two, he had to be willing to walk away from the life he had built. Look at Genesis 19.1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Lot was a successful man in Sodom. 
least on the outside and where the world was concerned. It says he sat in the gate. And that meant more than he just plopped down in everybody's way. That meant that Lot held a seat of significance in the city. It meant, in other words, he had campaigned for and been elected to a high office in that, in that town, in that city. Lot was a successful man, a leader in this very place that was destroying his life. And I bet you he ain't the last one. There he was. Big man, high office. So in the terms of the world, the physical realm, Lot was doing pretty good for himself. Had a good job. He was successful. He was making money. He was thriving when it came to all those things. He was somebody in Sodom. But let that sink in a minute. How would you like to be somebody in Sodom? It reminds me of the words of the psalmist. Psalm 84 and 10, who said, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than the dwell of the tents of wickedness. <laughs> That's somebody who said, I'm not going to sell out to the world. I want to stay true to God. No matter if I'd ever make it big in anybody's eyes, as long as I'm big in God's eyes, that's all that matters to me. And the messengers came to Lot. For Lot to obey the word of God, he had to be willing to leave all that behind. Lot had to be willing to step out of that position, leave that authority that he had, leave that money he was making. Literally, he had to leave every physical possession he had. But you know, 2 Peter 1 and 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I tell you, we need to get out of that corruption. Escape it. How do you do it? Through the Bible. These precious promises. There are men and women in church today who will not yield to God because it would cost them their career. There's young people in church today who won't give themselves completely to the Lord because they might lose their status among their peers. Now I'm going to tell you something. Popularity and paychecks and property, none of that stuff will go with you into eternity. None of it will. Missionary Jim Elliott, you've all heard it. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me give you this last thing for the fourth time. He had to make God the priority of his life once again, no matter what it cost him. Now when I say that, I want to remind you of what it cost him. Chapter 19 and verse 14, and Lot went out, and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And look at this. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They said, Who are you now? Come on. Come on, Daddy Lot. All these years we've been living here, you ain't never talked about God to us. Now you want to come in here and tell us to leave everything because God's going to destroy the city? Are you kidding? And they didn't believe him, and they didn't follow him out. He lost family. Look at this, verse number 22. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything, the angel said, till thou be come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. He lost it all, but verse 26. But his wife looked back. From behind him. And you know what happened? She was turned to a pillar of salt. She was destroyed and consumed by the city she couldn't let go of. 
And Lot had to make a decision in that moment. I don't know if he heard his wife cry. I don't know if he heard a scream. I don't know if, if Lot had any understanding in the moment of what exactly was going on. But he had a decision to make. Do I keep going where God's leading or do I stop and turn back? And Lot kept going. And I'm going to tell you there is nothing or no one this morning that is important enough in your life for you to turn your back on God and walk away from the will of God. It's hard, but it is the truth. It is the truth. So in closing, by the way, I love verse 27. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Oh, I'm glad that there was an uncle that never quit praying for that nephew. And you don't think it made a difference. I'm telling you different this morning. The Bible tells us it was Abraham interceding. I believe Lot might have... It wasn't the first time either. First, when Lot first went down into that city, all those kings band together and come to Sodom and captured everybody, took Lot prisoner and all his family. You know who it was that came and rescued him? Uncle Abe. <laughs> and Uncle Abraham stood before the king of Sodom and the king of Sodom said, Hey, you just tell us, what do we owe you, man? You got, we'll give you gold, we'll give you cattle. Man, we appreciate you so much for coming. Abraham said, I won't take a thing from you. I won't even take a shoelace from you. Lest somebody say it was this old world that made me rich and blessed me. Because I'm not going to give God's glory to anybody else. You'd have think old Lot would have learned his lesson that day, but he didn't. He vexed his righteous soul, seeing and hearing day after day in that world until it all came crashing down and he lost everything that he had. Now church, if you're sitting here this morning and you can relate to Lot in some fashion, I want to encourage you, don't let it happen that way. Don't, don't keep allowing your soul to be vexed. I want you to know, what's vexing you is not the stuff that's making you mad. What's vexing you is not the stuff that you're resisting and standing against because I don't want you to misunderstand. There's a lot of stuff I, I don't like in this world today. But because I'm standing with the Lord, I got conviction about it. It's not vexing my soul. What vexes your soul is the stuff you used to resist that you've given into. That stuff you watch now that you used to didn't watch on TV. That stuff you're listening to that you used to didn't listen to and it's infecting your heart. And it's, it's hurting your walk with God. It's, it's, it's destroying your holiness. It's keeping you from thinking about heaven. It's got your whole eyes and mind on this world. That's what's vexing you. And this morning, if you're someone like Lot, who's walked away from following God, walked away from the pilgrim life, somebody who's fooling around in Sodom, you may be out of the will of God, and you may be looking at that shiny and loud invitation that the Vanity Fair keeps throwing out at you. This is your call this morning to come out from among them. Separate yourselves. You may be here this morning just an out-and-out -out rebel on God, but you're broken up on the inside. You left the way of God years ago to carve out a name for yourself, make a pile of money, soak up the pleasures of this world. By the grace of God, you sat here today under this preaching, under this message, and the Holy Ghost of God says to you, give up, surrender, come clean, follow me out of the sin of Sodom. And you may be here today and, well, you're, you're no further along than Lot was when he first lifted up his eyes and looked. You ain't left the, the, the way yet. You haven't walked out of God's path yet, but you've been looking at it. And I tell you, that'll hit not just young people. That'll hit middle-aged people. That'll hit our senior citizen people. It, no one's immune from it. And you're, you're, you're in the will of God, but you're being enticed. I want to encourage you this morning, don't go any further 
bring that thing to God and say, Lord, blind me to this world. Help me only see the path of the just. If you'll do that this morning, God will help you no matter where you are in this walk.